Hello and welcome. I'm your host, Chris Geis. So, you want to ride a motorcycle better, faster, safer, with more skill and confidence? Or do you want to ride a motorcycle for the first time? Or ride again after taking a break from riding? Well, the purpose of my podcast is to help grow the sport of motorcycling by helping riders of all levels, whether they are new to motorcycling or not, increase their knowledge and skills so that they are better, smarter, safer riders and are getting everything they want out of motorcycling, whether it's on the street, on the track, or maybe even as a fan or a participant in some form of motorcycle racing. My game is to help all motorcyclists up their game. This is episode 48 titled Racing to the Track with Eric Swan Racing. This episode was a little different than usual. It was recorded as a live video shown using Facebook Live. In this episode, I talk with Eric Swan from Eric Swan Racing. Eric is an amateur racer who has done a lot of racing at the club level and really loves it. He also has quite an entrepreneurial streak and started selling merchandise online through eBay as a kid. Since motorcycle racing is a very expensive sport, unless you have lots of sponsors backing you, Eric decided to put his racing on hold for a little while as he focuses on building his online motorcycle gear and parts store. Right now he operates his online store part-time in addition to his regular day job, but his goal is to build his store up to the point where it not only supports him, but also provides the extra cash he needs to continue with his passion for motorcycle racing. Check out Eric's story in this episode and check out his online store at shopesr.com. Stay tuned as I'll be doing as many of these podcast recordings as possible using Facebook Live on Wednesday nights at 8 p.m. Eastern Time, and I will, of course, continue to make the audio portion available via this podcast. You can email questions for my guests and I prior to the live show using soyouwantaride at yahoo.com, or even better yet, tune in while we're recording and post your questions online. We'll do the best we can to answer all questions while we record. Further instructions will be posted before each live show on my Facebook page, So You Want to Ride a Motorcycle. This episode was recorded on Wednesday, June 10th, 2020, and is being published on Sunday, June 14th, 2020. I hope you enjoy it. So, you want to ride a motorcycle? Well, you've come to the right place, because this is the So You Want to Ride a Motorcycle Podcast. All right. Hello, everybody. So uh, assuming I pushed all the right buttons, we should be live now. Uh, I'm Chris Geis, host of the So You Want to Ride a Motorcycle podcast, and my special guest tonight is is Eric Swan. Is that the right pronunciation, Eric? I meant yep, to just, uh, okay. just like the bird, but with an H in there. Gotcha. Okay, I meant to ask you before we got started. Uh, who is from Eric Swan Racing? So, welcome, Eric. Yeah, thanks. Thanks for having me, Chris. Absolutely, my pleasure. Hey. Yeah. So, uh, I guess what uh, what 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 led me to want to do this is I recently came across. I guess it was posts, you know, things you had on Facebook. Um, one one thing I got to tell you is your logo like really caught my eye and and on your videos and stuff like you've got this really cool animation like the motorcycle with the Eric Swan racing and the ESR um, who who put that together for you did you do that so I had the idea of a, a logo concept I wanted to stand out I wanted to do something different for my race team back in the day and uh, so I had the concept but I didn't have the graphic design skill to actually do that so I actually, I made a contest online. I think it was logomyway.com. And you put up so 
much amount of money, anywhere from like 50 to a thousand dollars. I think mine was like maybe $200 or something like that. And I had all these parameters that I set and I said, okay, everybody go crazy. And, and you get to vote on which concepts you like the most, and which ones you don't. And uh, it's like you get 50 designers from all around the world working on a logo for you and you only get to pay one of them. You only pay. So it's a really good way of doing it and you get a lot of ideas um, and concepts from that. And I just took it and ran with it. I actually changed the colors. It was, it used to be red and black, but uh, my bike happened to be blue at the time. So that being blue. Yeah. No, I love the color scheme that you have. So anyone, anyone listening either now or who listens later, and I'll actually, I'll put this, this will go, you know, as as video on the Facebook page, but then I'm also going to pull the audio and I'll just do this as a regular episode of my audio podcast, but I'll make sure there's links and stuff like in the podcast notes so people can, can go check it out. Yeah. Thank Uh, you. I've gotten, uh, gotten compliments from people ever since I started having that logo. It's, it, you know, it stands out as a motorcycle rider, you know, motorcycle, uh, figure, and you can see it easily from from a mile away. It's like you can put it on a flag, and people recognize it. Yeah, no, and that's cool. I like the whole animation of it, like the turning gears, like in the engine or whatever. Really, it looks really professional. So anyway, well, well, thank well done, you. well done on that. So uh, yeah, it, it looked like we got two two listeners now. So for anyone who is listening. If you have any questions for Eric or for myself, although the main point is to interview Eric, um, just go to my website, so you want to ride.com, where you'll find the link to my Facebook page, which is also, it's actually So You Want to Ride a Motorcycle at so.you.want.2.ride. And you will find a post in there where I, I said, just comment on this post if you have any questions for Eric. So uh, yeah, so if you do have questions, definitely put comments there. I'll try to keep an eye on it. And uh, uh, if if questions come in, we'll we'll take them up as we go. So um, just in looking at your social media, like your Facebook page and your YouTube channel and stuff, um, I actually got kind of a good sense of of where you're coming from and your background. So let me just kind of summarize it a little bit. And then you tell me if I get it right or not. And and then there's lots of questions I have for you because it sounds like you've got a really cool background. So you obviously spent many, many, many years racing, I guess, club, basically club racing, right? And any, yeah. any professional racing? No, you know, I, I earned my professional race license in 2015, but I was never able to financially afford to attend a professional race. Right. Okay. So, so, so in, in one of the videos you did, the one about, you know, why I'm not racing, I, I thought you, you gave a really cool explanation of basically, I guess you love to race, but you looked at how expensive it is especially, I guess, as a club racer, right? You can have, I guess, some sponsorship here and there, but it's not the same as like being a a pro racer. And so it sounds like you kind of decided, okay, how am I going to read, change what I'm doing so that I've got the money to, I guess, afford to go racing. And that also you've, you know, you've got something going on to support yourself. And that sounds like, so, so Eric Swan racing, which was your racing team, I guess that was the, the, the name that you raced under as a club racer also became your your business for selling motorcycle parts accessories and right exactly so i started as more i started an llc to separate personal from business expenses because there's so many expenses in racing you want to have that in a in a separate entity right and um so i did the sponsorship for quite a while and i started selling my old takeoff tires every single tire that i'd use you know for a half a day at the track i'd sell online on craigslist and then I found at one point, every single tire that I used, I had sold. Um, so I'm like, hmm, there's something to this. Okay. And so I started selling more stuff on Craigslist, moved over to eBay. Uh, I was laid off from a job at that time. So it kind of gave me the time to actually do it. 
and to start something. And uh, yeah, it's, it's more from, from racing, which I'm still racing, just different, uh, different disciplines right now. Uh, now I have the sales aspect and now I just started in, in uh, mid-May the podcast. So I just uh, released the fifth episode the other day with John Hawkins um, and I'm just trying to help promote the business, help, uh, help the sales side of it so I can get back and racing motorsports. Uh, you know, I love motorcycles. I love cars too. I love carts. Uh, I want to race everything. I want to be that guy who's on all those different bikes all the different, different vehicles. Um, I'm fast in just about anything. Just put me in it, give me some time and let me learn it and I'll get right up to speed. So, um, I'm just trying to eventually, uh, be able to make enough money to quit my job and mm-hmm. afford racing also. Cool. Uh, so it doesn't happen overnight. You know, I'm doing this part time while working a full time job. Um, and they say it takes five years make a business profitable but what if you don't have a full full uh team working with you and you're doing it part-time you know it's going to take longer so you got to be patient you know you can't just expect it to happen overnight and be selling millions of dollars by tomorrow some people it works out that way it's, it hasn't worked out that way for me yet but i'm not giving up no, i think that's probably the main thing is the persistence yeah you, you know, just got to keep like going Die to do something and just keep going until you figure it out you know, I could have gave up on racing when I couldn't find enough sponsorship, but I, I decided, no, uh, I'm going to start a business to try to fund it because otherwise I'm out. There's no other way unless you find uh, a dump truck full of money somewhere, which is unlikely. <laughs> That's, I guess that happens for some people, but not everybody. Yeah. <laughs> it hasn't happened for me. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> yeah. So uh, you've got a really cool display behind you there. It looks like, I guess, some trophies and plaques and yeah. things from your racing. Maybe uh, kind of walk us through what you got there. Yeah, so uh, everything you see is stuff that I've I personally won and achieved. Um, I even have a little Goo Energy water bottle over here uh, just, for, just for fun. They were a sponsor at one point, Goo Energy, uh, make chews and hydration packs and things. But yeah, so... Um, a lot of these are mostly motorcycle trophies. Uh, the plaques uh, that you see on the wall are all second and third places. The, the stand-up ones that you see are all firsts. Um, and then you see there's number plates on both sides. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's actually some on the other side as well. Um, and those are all from mountain bike races and foot races. So I do uh, 5Ks and 10Ks, triathlons. I'm not the most competitive foot racer out there but i just like doing different things to uh to mix it up um I, I feel like being in different disciplines is very beneficial um you learn things from road racing that apply to road bicycle racing or foot racing for example uh it all melts together and if you're faster in one thing it helps you in something else so i just like uh being diverse i guess you call it mm-hmm. cool so i guess it's safe to say that you like racing period yeah, I, I love racing. Um, I'm not a huge NASCAR fan or like a hill climb kind of guy, but um, more more the pavement. I'm uh, I love the pavement for cars and bikes and carts. Uh, I follow pretty much all the series that there are. Um, I just started getting into flat track and some motocross here, um, but you know, there's been no events for the last little couple months here. So uh, I've been actually. I watched the entire 2008 season MotoGP from uh, Moto3, Moto2, and MotoGP class. I finished all, them all up because I don't oh, know. Wow. 
I don't think I actually watched that live back in 2008. So I went back and, and saw Marquez throw it down the road a whole bunch of times. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's cool. So you were kind of binge watching, catching up on uh, MotoGP? Yeah, you know, I don't watch a ton of TV or television. So um, if I can soak in a good race uh, while I'm eating dinner or something, uh, that's pretty much the only time I have to sit down and watch to watch something. Right. Yeah. That's cool. So uh, how long ago did you start racing? Uh, I started going to the track in 2011. Uh, I did a season of track days. I did 12 track days, um, all in the Midwest region. I uh, did Gingerman, Granton, I think uh, Autobahn Country Club. Um, and then I think Ging- uh, Granton again, and one other one in there. But uh, I started racing in 2012, and I uh, started a novice. And I raced pretty much as many classes as I possibly could because I realized that I hadn't started when I was five years old. I started when I was 20 racing. Uh, that's why my number is 20. Um, and so I wanted as much race experience as possible. And the only way to do that is to actually get out there and race more. Track days are great, but when you're actually in the racing environment experience, it's way different. So I would do six or seven races sometimes a weekend. I would do both C super stock and C super bike. The same thing with the 750 super stock super bike and the 1000 super stock super bike. There was only one other class I could have entered that was formula one. I chose not to. Um, and then the, there was usually uh, a 20 lap race on Saturday before those Sunday races as well. So it'd be six or seven races a weekend. Oh, wow. um, and sometimes it'd be a double header. So sometimes it'd be six races on Saturday, six races on Sunday. And that's, that's a lot. That's a lot of riding and racing and you're completely exhausted at the end of that. Um, but I found actually when you're, when you're more tired, I rode better because I stopped fighting the handlebars as, as much because I just couldn't hold on anymore. Right. And so I would just lean my body cause I'm exhausted and I was, huh, it, it feels better now that I'm more tired. What's that about? That's interesting. So you just kind of would naturally loosen up, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. And then yeah, you learn learn to ride that way the rest of the time when you're when you're fresh and it helps out right no that, that's that's pretty cool now um when, when you were doing that racing did you have anyone kind of as a crew to help you out you know just getting the bike ready moving stuff around was it more or less just you um most of the time i drove to the track myself in my own truck or car i started with a pontiac sunfire home with an open trailer um and then I would have people at the track help me, you know, when you're in the pits, everybody helps out. If you're, if you're about to come pit in, they'll help you with your stand or put your tire warmer on, you know, that kind of thing. Every once in a while, a friend would come and help out, you know, with, with the mechanics and, and uh, helping out here and there a little bit more than the tire warmers. Um, But most of the time it was just me driving by myself. And, uh, and that was tough because what if you're, what if you get injured? Nobody can drive your truck back. Um, or what if you're at the hospital, you know, who's going to get your stuff? You know, there's so many situations um, or you're just exhausted and you, you don't want to drive another 12 hours home um, and you don't want to get a hotel. Right. So it helps. It really, really helps having more than one person, but it can be done. And I've done it many, many times by myself. Uh, you know, when you get into the track, it's pitch black. You gotta, you don't have to, but I always chose to unload everything when I got there. Um, 
in in the dark. You just got a head, little headlamp on, right. and you're working by by the moonlight. But uh, those were some of the best times, man. Just uh, getting to the track at night and unloading and setting everything up for the morning. Um, just getting that feeling. I would always camp at the track. There's only a couple of times I got a hotel in all the years I raced. Um, one time it was because it was actually snowing uh, that day, and I didn't want to be out in in, uh, in the snow. Um, but I like that too. You just got to be aware of of the water if it starts raining. I've had all my stuff uh, get completely it's soaked. <laughs> yeah. Wow. Um, and uh, so I guess you do all the work on your bikes, pretty much. I do right most now. of it. I, I have a couple of good friends who help me out with a lot of it. Um, you know, I don't do engines and I don't do suspension internals, but everything else is really nuts and bolts when you get down to it. Um, it can be nerve wracking sometimes when you're taking some apart, you've never taken, taken apart, but um, never really broken anything. I've, uh, you know, uh, screwed up a couple of screw heads here and there, but that's just bound to happen over time. Bolts and, um, but yeah, I mean, uh, if you take your time, if you say, I got two weeks to this next event, and uh, I'm just going to take my time with it. Look through YouTube videos and, and uh, different manuals and FaceTime with your friend. And I can't get this part off. What do I do? And there's so many people who want to help you. And when it comes crunch time and you're actually racing, it's amazing. Uh, it's like a community that comes together. If you have good sponsors and people around you who will just drop everything and, okay, let's, let's put that new engine in tomorrow. I got three hours in the afternoon. Let's do it. You know? And it's like, wow. You know, I, it would take me a month and a half to put an engine in by myself. It feels like, you know, I'm just not that, I, I don't have that mechanical background, but if you spend your time with it, you can do it. Yeah. No, it, it's kind of interesting. I talked about that on a recent podcast, you know, cause I've been interviewing a lot of Moto America guys like twins cup racers and stuff like that. And, and you hear a lot of stories like that. And it is just interesting because, you know, out on the track, the, you know, the competitors, right. And then, you oh, know, yeah. if, if you have a competitive spirit, you're out there to win and, you know, it's not like you're going to risk anyone's life, but it's like, you know, if you don't get out of my way, I'm going to push you out of the way kind of thing. Right. <laughs> sure. But leading up to that, you know, someone who needs help setting up a bike, they have a problem or whatever, you know, it, it's now it's like, everyone's on the same team. It's like oh, until, yeah. until they hit the track. So that, that's really cool. That, that kind of dual nature of things. Yeah. And people always say, well, I don't know too much about racing. I don't know how to get into it. Well, I learned everything I know about racing from going to the racetrack. And uh, I didn't know how to change a tire on my motorcycle before I got to the racetrack and I was struggling with it. And somebody came over to me and it was actually Steve Palella, I think, came over to me at, at Autobahn in Joliet, Illinois. And he's like, you look like you're riding the struggle bus pretty hard. Let me help you out with that. Let me teach you how to do this because I'd never done it before. Yeah. I watched, you know, 100 people do it. I just never took the reins myself. So it, it it takes someone taking you under the wing and showing you to like, now I can show other people. Now, now it's, it's easy. Once you know how that's the true with everything. Yeah, definitely. You think you'll start doing videos of that kind of stuff, like for your YouTube channel? Maybe, you know, I, I would probably do some product videos before I do like uh, maintenance yeah. videos. Uh, Cause I actually don't have a motorcycle right now to work on, but um, I do have all these products to sell and that'd be great to maybe either show them in person, talk about them with, with my hands or just show pictures and, and I can talk about them. Uh, that's another way to do it. Yeah. But that, that's a really interesting point. You know, what you mentioned before about just kind of getting, you know, help when you need it. And now like the 
you know, like everyone's got a, a smartphone, right? And you can do FaceTime or Skype or whatever it is. And you can actually show like live video, right? I mean, yeah. think about years ago, right? You didn't have all this stuff, you know, when, when telephones had wires and all that kind of stuff. And yeah. now it's just like, yeah, just crank up your phone. Okay, here, look, this is the problem I have. What do I do? They can kind of step you through it. So it's, it's actually really cool how the technology, you know, has, has improved like that and made, made life a lot easier. Yeah, it's really, there's no excuse anymore for not getting it done. It's just, you didn't spend the time to do it. Yeah. That's hard for some people too. Yeah, <laughs> so it sounds like, so you're self-taught with mo- a lot of this stuff, right? Like working on the motorcycle, obviously getting help where you could get it or, or yeah. where you needed to. Is that also true with your racecraft? You know, like, are you pretty much self-taught? Did you do any formal training, like any of the racing schools or anything? I, uh, well, I started on my own. I read a twist of the wrist from cover to cover a bunch of times and I'd highly recommend that. Yeah. Um, that really gave me the foundation cause I, I don't have a, a background of racing. I'd always been riding bicycles and interested in racing and maybe pick some things up by watching some races here and there, but, uh, didn't really get on a, a bike on the track till, like I said, 2011. And, uh, my, my parents, my family, nobody in my family races. My brother now races triathlons and, you know, people do foot races and that kind of thing, but no motorsports. In fact, my, my dad really doesn't want me to even do motorsports just because of the danger. Right. Uh, I understand that. I uh, try to mitigate it whenever possible. But yeah, I've done the, uh, the Jason DeSalvo Speed Academy. I highly recommend that. It doesn't, I don't think it exists at the moment. Um, and I've also done the Sport Bike Track Times um, licensing program through Wera. And I highly recommend those. I did a pro school through them with the instructor. And it was all very helpful. Each step of the way, you, you break these barriers. And it's just amazing. You know, when you first go to the track, you think you, think you know everything. And then the, and it's like a layer of onions. You just peel off this next layer. And you're like, wow, I can do that with my bike. I can drag my knee. I can do this. Uh, you know, dragging foot pegs now. Now some people are dragging elbows and helmets even. Right. Craziness, you know, what the level of, what the machine can do. It's just you are basically holding back the the machine from what its full potential is. So it's finding a way to uncover that potential with the setup that you have and, and your weight and, and everything like that. I just want to take a little break here to let you know that this episode is brought to you in part by the following supporters of my podcast. Thumper Club member John Gardner, also known as G4, Parallel Twin Club members Shane Patilla and Jerry Vavaro, V-Twin Club members Richard Warfield Jr. of R-Dub Studios LLC and Harley Nemzer from the On the Road Again Motorcycle School, Triple Club member Aaron at The Motorcycle Rider, and V-4 Club member John Delvecchio from the Street Skills LLC Motorcycle Riding School and author of the book Corner and Confidence. Gentlemen, thank you very much for your support. It is greatly needed and very much appreciated. If you would like to join these supporters to help grow my podcast and other motorcycle-related content and thus contribute to the growth of the sport of motorcycling, please stay tuned to the end of this episode or check out the podcast supporters link on my website. And now back to the show. Yeah. So, so since you mentioned that, would, would, you know, is it fair to say, because I've heard people talk about this, that you know, obviously when it comes to motorcycle racing, right, there's there's all these different aspects. So you, you've got the mechanics of the motorcycle itself, right? And you've got the setup and understanding how all that goes. Um, you know, you've got the physical conditioning of the rider and being in decent shape. But the, the more people I talk to, the more I read, the more it seems like the mental aspect 
it is a big, big part of it. Is that what you oh, think? It's, it's huge. Yeah. Um, I've always felt like I'm kind of like a on the edge kind of guy, like an extreme sports type of dude. Yeah. I do like the adrenaline. Um, but I've always been able to push myself past where I think is okay. And, and not be so afraid that I can't do that. And sometimes you get over your head, you know, that does happen. Um, but I think in order to find your limits, you do have to cross them. Uh, hopefully you don't cross them too bad and you can save it. Um, you know, I've, I've heard of, I think only one person, I won't name his name. I don't know if this is true anymore, who has achieved expert wins and still hasn't crashed. Um, but that's extremely rare. You know, uh, I think Marquez, he crashed 20 or 30 times in a single season and still won the world championship. Yep. Uh, so the number of crashes maybe isn't a, isn't a tell to how good of a rider you are, but when you're crashing in the wrong situations, like in during a race or during qualifying or whatever, whatever it is, uh, you know, at this level, every crash is matters because they're so expensive and we don't have a, a factory budget to replace everything. Yeah. Definitely. That, that's interesting that you mentioned Marquez. Um, you know, it's not true all the time, but what's interesting about him is he seems to save his most of his crashes for practice and qualify. Oh, yeah. And well, he, you know, he, he's you know, he does crash in races. And I saw him actually, I saw MotoGP actually the only the only time I've seen it so far last season at uh, Circuit, of, Circuit of the Americas. Um, you know, and I saw him when he, he low sided in whatever it was turned 15, 14 or something like After that. After the back straight. Yeah. Yep. Yep. Which is unusual, right. For him to do something like that. Um, but yeah, but you know, it's not uncommon for him to have a crash in practice qualifying, whatever, but then he gets out there on the track, he does his thing. And it's just like, it's amazing. Yep. He's finding the limit when it doesn't matter. So that when, right. when it comes time to do it, he knows what to do. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. The mental part is, is so big, you know, that's what really separates the men from the boys when it comes to the, the kink at Nelson's when you're, when you're going six gear pinned wide open uh, and there's not a whole lot of room and it used to be really, really bumpy uh, who can hold it open the longest or not even shut it off. You know, those kind of things. Uh, it's like a game of chicken in a way, but you're really playing it with yourself because you can't really race to someone else uh, too much. You have to be within your own, your own parameters. Otherwise you get over your head real quick. Yeah. So what, what works for you? Like what tricks, techniques do you have, you know, to handle that mental side? You know, like when, you know, when part of you is saying, you know, don't take the, don't take the turn at the speed or, you know, don't pin it through like the section that you talked about, like what, what works for you? Well, most of the time I would go through and rehearse the track in my head and go through, close your eyes and mentally prepare for what you're going to do in each corner. So that when it comes time to it, there is really no thinking because if you're thinking about it, you're, you're reacting way too slow. Um, now there's, there's a lot of times where you, you go for a pass and then think and then back off or, um, or you just instinctually know that you can make this with the gap that's there. Um, so how you prepare, you know, is, is beforehand. Um, just like Nolan was saying on that, on his podcast, you got to prepare the engine and all the mechanical stuff before you get to the track. So it's not even in your mind. So ideally you prepare before um, and just mentally going through it. You know, like I said before, I get more nervous doing this because I just haven't done it. Uh, I just don't do Facebook live. This would be the first one. So right. I'm more nervous for this and lining up for a grid. That's interesting. 
No, but that totally makes sense, right? Because it's like what you're what you're familiar with, what you've built the familiarity, and then you know that the confidence comes from that. In fact, it's interesting because uh, one of the guys I've had on, John Del Vecchio, who has a motorcycle like street, you know, training school, street skills moto. He wrote a book and he's got like an online course for street riders and he does like track days and stuff. And actually I just did my first track day on Sunday and it was really interesting because I picked up some really valuable stuff from what he talks about, you know, for riding on the street. Um, but one of the things he talks about in, in his book is, and I forget the, I forget the exact thing now, but basically that, you, you know, confidence comes from, yeah, I guess it's knowledge and, and, and basically practice or experience, right. And, and, and actually doing the thing. So here, you know, this is my second time doing this face Facebook live. So I'm a little bit more familiar with it. This is your first time, but yeah, I get it. And then you like, you do it a couple of times or even like, you know, the track day, it's not like I was super nervous about it, but I'm like, I don't know. I've never done this before. Am I going to mess up? I don't want to bump in anybody, whatever, but you know, you go out and you do it. And I think that that's the trick, right. Is, is doing things in, in steps or gradients that, you know, you want to constantly be pushing yourself, but that's within, you know, somewhat your capabilities so that you're not overdoing it and overcooking it where that's where you get into trouble. Right. But so you push yourself a little bit, you accomplish the things like, wow, it wasn't so bad. You know, now next time I can, you know, wh- whatever it is, I can take that turn a little faster. You know, I can hit, hit that straightaway a little faster. I can roll the throttle on a little sooner, you know, kind of thing. And you just, just go step by step. Yeah. One of the things uh, in that Jason DeSalvo speed Academy that I did, um, that really helped me that kind of opened my eyes and was counterintuitive. It was, uh, we went maybe, I don't know, 60 to 75% of our max speed around the track. I'm I'm sitting here thinking like, what, okay, what's the point of this? Why are we going so slow? Like, can we just keep going? Like, what, what are we doing here? And the thing is, if you can do your lap perfectly at 75%, perfectly, I'm talking every, Every marker, every breaking point, even though you're not going as fast, have the same breaking points, um, same exact apex, uh, corner out, everything. Make it inch perfect. If you can do that 75%, then you can do it 80%, 80%. Then you can try 85%. And if you, if you keep missing your lines or missing your breaking points, then you need to back it down again. Because if, if you can't do it at those lower speeds, you try doing it at 100%, you're going to be on your head. Um, so that's when, when you talk about, you know, ratchet up slowly. Um, you don't start going 185 miles an hour down the front straight. You start doing the three line drill, doing about 45. You're like, okay, I'll go faster on the street. Um, it's not, the racetrack isn't scary. You just have to know what the right thing to do is. Yeah, that, that's, a, that's a really good point, right? Is, is the fear comes largely, I guess, from the unknown or, you know, not not having done it or not having or not approaching it in the right manner it's interesting too because you know sometimes you see these you know like videos that go viral and stuff on youtube or facebook or whatever it is of you know you see some kid you know takes a motorcycle and he just like cobbles together some like ramp or something like that and he you know gets a good clip running up to it doesn't even take like a warm-up like you know run up like you'll see like when Evil Knievel used to do jumps or when you see, you know, motorcycle stuntmen or whatever, you know, they'll kind of roll the motorcycle up the ramp, make sure everything is <laughs> test good. it out first, test it out. Everything's working. No, these guys just go flat out, you know, without even a test run over, you know, and then whatever they, they, they miss the landing ramp or they crash or whatever. Or there isn't and, even and, a landing ramp. Or there isn't. A, right. But, but the point being that, you know, in, in cases like that, you can just tell that they haven't taken the time 
to figure it out and go step by step. Like they saw someone do something. It's like, oh, that's easy. You just, you know, take some wood and you bang together a ramp and then you just launch and you go for it. And then you think about when when you look at some of the the top, whatever it is, motocross, supercross riders or motorcycle stunt riders, like in the X Games, you know, when, when you actually get a chance to see videos of them preparing and stuff, right? Like, it's really interesting, like how much goes into, you know, when someone is like doing a new trick for the first time, they don't just like fly off the ramp, you know, and just try out this new trick, right? You know, like I've seen, like they'll have like, like a dumpster or something like full of big foam blocks, right? Oh, yeah. So they're practicing a trick and they go off the ramp and they don't land on another ramp the first time they land, you know, in this big dumpster of foam blocks or whatever, you know, whatever it is that they can work into, make sure whatever they get the timing, right? The speed, right? Whatever. So it, it's, I guess that's an important thing is knowing how to approach something and how to break it down step-by-step. You know, yeah. So, and, and you can said, and master each of those things without just like, you know, balls to the wall, just, you know, full throttle. Here we go. Yeah. That's the, the hooligan way to do it instead of the professional. Right. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And uh, you said you did a track day. Where did you ride recently? Uh, New York safety track. And up, how was that up, experience? Up oh, it was first awesome. Time track day, huh? First time at a track day. Yeah, it was awesome. It's, it's funny. You know, people who listen to my podcast know I've been talking about this forever. I probably, I probably started talking about it when I started my podcast, which was a year ago in February. Okay. Um, but, you know, finally December, I forget when it was, I decided to really get serious about it. But, you know, December, I started shopping for gear, got myself a good awry helmet, got myself some, you know, good race gloves and boots and whatever. So finally, it was a couple, couple of weeks ago. I was like, you know, I keep talking about this thing on my podcast and I'm a co-host on Throttle Podcast. And, you know, it's not like I was just like fluffing or whatever. It's just like I was talking about it because I was excited about it and I was preparing myself. And then finally, I was like, you know what? I need to do this thing. And so I just happened to get an email. I'm on the email list for New York Safety Track. And it's like, hey, we got a rookie day coming up. I was like, oh, what's the schedule? Check it out. Okay. Hey, you got some slots open? Yeah, we do. Okay, awesome. So, you know, and, and off I went. So my girlfriend went up with me. You know, she was taking some pictures and stuff like that. But so to answer your question, it was a blast. And I think I'll probably do, a, a, you know, an episode, a podcast episode just about that, my experience or whatever. But I already signed up, not this coming weekend, the following Saturday, I'm going to do uh, do another track day. I'm going to rent one of their Ninja 400s. So I, I took this time, I took my bike, which is a Kawasaki Z900 RS, okay. which, which is cool, cool bike. Um, it's awesome bike. And I had a great time, but it's my baby. It's like my street bike. And so, you know, I'm not at the point where I'm pushing anything, but it's like, yeah, if I make a mistake or whatever, I really don't want to put this bike down. Uh, that would, it would just break my heart. So, <laughs> and then I was looking at it too going, you know, if I rent a bike and crash it or whatever, I got to pay them to repair the bike. But if I crash my bike, I have to pay to repair it. So like, what's the, what's, what's, what's the, the difference, right? What's the difference, right? So yeah. So I'm, so I'm really looking forward to that. And actually uh, I was going to do California Superbike school, their two day camp uh, in May, but you know, because of COVID-19 and whatever that got canceled. So it's, it's rescheduled for August. So I'll be doing that at uh, New Jersey motorsports park. So looking forward to that. Yeah, all those classes are incredibly helpful. I don't, I haven't been to that one in particular, but just being around professionals that know and can teach you the right thing to do is just so valuable. Um, you know, you go to this, all of these coaches are, they mean well, and they're, they're trying to tell you the right thing, but some of them, you know, some of the slower coaches at least don't know all the right things. So when you're a novice, they might make kind of push you to the right direction, but it might not be the perfect answer. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And when you're in a classroom full of professionals, um, you're just learning with the best information that there is. Yeah. Yeah. True. Sorry. I just was, I was looking to see if we had any uh, questions or anything coming in. Yeah. Um, 
that's a really good point too. Like is, you know, it, it's always good when you're starting on a new endeavor, find people to mentor you, uh, you know, who you can learn from, but you need to do a little homework and research and, uh, you know, make sure the person who's mentoring you and whose, whose opinion and, and whatever, you know, advice you're trusting knows what they're talking about. Yeah, right. Some it's people, either. and it's not even necessarily like malicious, you know, sometimes no. people, they're just trying to help, but they're just yeah. not as educated as they think they are or, or whatever, you know, and, and that, that to me, just, that's just an important thing in life is like to know what you know and know what you don't know. And, yeah. Just try and everything just be, out. Like, be on, honest with yourself about, you know, what you can and can't do, what you do and don't know. Yeah. You know, try stuff, you know, if somebody suggests something, you can always try it. If it doesn't work, then maybe it wasn't right for you. But that, that's the other thing too. And I forget where it was, if it was one of the books I read or something, right? Because there's, there's a lot of popular books out there, right? So you mentioned Twist of the Wrist uh, you know, by Keith Code. And what, it's, it's actually interesting. I, I, had, I, I interviewed Keith Code early on. It was like episode, what, 19 or something like that, one of, my, one of my earlier episodes, which was a ton of fun. And what's funny about that is I had asked him, you know, where did he get that name, Twist of the Wrist? Because it's like, it's such a cool name. I'm like, oh, you know, he must have just been thinking and thinking about it. And he's like, no, he's like, I, I was trying to sell a magazine, a story, you know, an article he had written about motorcycle riding techniques and whatever. And, and the editor was like, oh, you know, what's the title of the article? And he's like, 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 why are you doing this thing? And he's like, oh, well, you know, I'm writing, it's going to be a chapter in my book, right? Which I get, and I'm sure he was thinking of writing a book, but it was no like major plan, it sounded like. So the guy's like, oh, what's the title of the book? And he didn't have one yet. So he's like, oh, I'm not, I don't know. Uh, Twist of the wrist. <laughs> like off the top of his head. And then, it's like that. And it's stuck. Yeah. So and sometimes that seems to work the best. Like you just do stuff, you know, just off the top of your head or what just seems right, what comes to you kind of thing. Sure, sure. Absolutely. Yeah, I agree with that. It's uh, sometimes the best things just come from the ether like that. Yeah, yeah. But I, I guess the point I was getting to is, you know, different books I've, I've looked at or, you know, read or whatever. So, you know, Twist of the Wrist and then, uh, you know, Lee Park's Total Control. Um, I've got a couple others that I, that I want to read. I know there's a bunch of a bunch of authors who, you know, a lot of experience who've written some good stuff. But the point being that, you know, you can't take anything as the gospel, really. Like, you know, you read this guy's book and then, OK, well, that's what you do. You know, right. well, yeah, th- it could be it could be the case, but it's like kind of open yourself up to what everyone has to say. And then, you know, cause you have to find what works for you too. Like what works for one person or one group of people doesn't necessarily work for everyone. So, you know, it's kind of like understand it and then decide, you know, what do you want to apply? And uh, that's a thing too. Like if, if you like the one things I like about like Yamaha champions racing school, like their kind of approach or their motto is they're constantly updating their curriculum, right. And what they teach based on what the current, world champions are doing in motorcycle racing right so it's not like some fixed thing they're kind of open to oh wow like uh this guy's you know be breaking lap times or whatever let's see what, what this guy's doing and so yeah. it becomes kind of uh flexible like it, it, it can adapt or evolve over time yeah it definitely evolves and changes uh, uh it's interesting how over the years the body position has changed and you see most of the riders are more upright and now that everybody's all leaning off the side trying to get their weight lower yeah um and you can see pictures superimposed, you know, the old 1950s motorcycle position versus 2020 and how it's so different. Yeah. Well, that, that's interesting too, right? Like everyone's obsession with, you know, putting a knee down and putting an elbow down and all that kind of thing, which, which again, it's cool stuff. Like, and if you could do it, that's awesome. But you yeah. know, it's kind of like, 
yeah, the, the other thing I've heard is, you know, hey, you know, master riding first, get good, you know, learn good technique at these, you know, at speeds you can handle. And as things develop, you'll whatever you'll put your knee down like when the time is right don't like that doesn't necessarily have to be the goal you know it's like right. oh, get my knee down on this turn kind of thing and now as you as you progress and go faster in racing uh you try to pick your knees up more because you don't want to drag them as much because they're just hanging on the ground all the time so it, it becomes a, a detrimental thing where you're trying to pick your knee up over this curbing because it'll take off your 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 knee puck and i always used to try to use the uh the rain pucks you'll see in a lot of my pictures i have these really thick knee pucks on and that was uh probably heavier than it needed to be marginally but i liked it because it kept my knees closer to the bike and unless i couldn't put my knees further down so it was kind of like a, a trainer almost to keep my knees higher up okay oh interesting the ground all, all the time. but it's, and there again right it's like no fixed ideas like be flexible to, to try yeah. things and that what, was like, nothing that i heard from anybody else that was just something that i was like i want to try this and i had you know, I had my rain pucks on from before and I was like, oh, I'm just going to leave them on. And I liked it. I liked how it felt. So just go with what works. It might yeah. have three ounces heavier than a regular puck, whatever. Mm-hmm. Live and learn, right? Yeah, um, that was interesting too. Something I'd heard last year, um, you know, now, you know, they're racing electric motorcycles, right? So, um, you know, Moto, MotoGP has the Moto E series. And uh, I saw an interview with one of the racers and, and he said that the thing, the problem he ran into was mm. the motorcycles are so relatively quiet because of the electric drivetrain that he could actually hear his knee puck like <laughs> when, when he was going around turns and yeah. it was, it was preventing him from hearing what he wanted to hear what the motorcycle was doing. Right. Cause even the like, RPM range, I, I guess RPMs or whatever it was that, that were cues that were useful to him we're now being drowned out you know, by yeah. the knee puck sound. So he actually switched to a different material. So wow. loud, right. But like, who would have thought, right. It's like, Oh, what's the big deal. You go from a gas bike to an electric bike, you know? Well, there's times like I have my, my visor cracked and you hear different engine sounds like, Oh, that sounds bad. It sounds weird. I don't know. I don't normally hear this. And you get kind of nervous about it, but it's just because you're not normally listening to that tone produced from your bike. But yeah. It's, yeah, yeah, yeah. You hear those sounds that you never heard before. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, I know in one of your videos, you mentioned you had a kind of a gnarly crash sometime. Was it uh, like 2015? Yep, 2015. Uh, it was May 3rd over in Granton. Uh, I had a bad one. I've crashed a dozen times on the track, but uh, this one had me in the hospital. Um, I hit the pit wall at Granton. Oh, wow. Coming onto the main straightaway. I high-sided my bike, and uh, there was just a tiny three-inch foam barrier between the guardrail and I broke seven bones, ribs, collapsed lung, concussion, dislocated shoulder. I was out for a little while. Um, it was a nasty one. Um, but it hasn't, hasn't stifled my love of racing. I still love racing. I would just like to make it a little safer, right? I've said before, uh, racing's in my blood, but there's too much blood in racing. <laughs> I don't know how to fix that. And that's, you know, not at at the top of mind at the moment in today's culture, obviously with with the stuff going on in the news, uh, it's, it's not a, a high point for most people, uh, the racing community, it matters, you know, uh, we have the technology, you just have to move walls, but a track like that, it's not going to spend the money to redesign their entire track. You know, uh, it's just kind of how it is at the moment. 
maybe in 50 years, there won't be walls that close to the race surface. Yeah. I don't know. Just another quick break to announce the new affiliates program. If you go to the affiliates page on my website, you will see the companies that I have partnered with to bring you some of the motorcycle gear and services that I use myself. Not only will you benefit from their products and services, but if you make a purchase using the links on this page, you'll also be helping to support the podcast financially. So I'd like to welcome these affiliates. Street Skills LLC, which provides the Cornering Confidence book and online course. If you purchase a course or course and book combination from my website, you'll also be listed as a supporter on my podcast supporters page as a Parallel Twin Club member. If you are already a podcast supporter, a portion of the purchase price will be credited towards your next support level. And I'd also like to welcome Bond Body Armor, which I've been using for a couple of years now. If you go to their website using the affiliate link, you'll get 10% off your entire purchase from their online store using the discount code they provide. Tell them you heard about Bond Body Armor from this podcast and get a free helmet liner. And now back to the last part of the show. Do, uh, do you listen to the Moto America podcast at all? Off track? Yeah, I've listened to a couple one. Because um, they, uh, they had done a couple, a bunch of maybe six episodes ago. They interviewed John Ulrich. Um, yeah, I think yeah, I, I listened to that one about the road racing. Uh, the road action. racing action fund. Yeah. So yeah that, and I actually as, donate to that. Oh, wow. Oh, that's awesome. Okay. So it, it's a cause that matters to me. Um, so on some of the sales for the business, I have it automatically donated a percentage of the sale right to. Oh, that's awesome. So, yeah, that's cool. So, yeah, for, just for listeners who aren't familiar with it. So so basically it's something that uh, I guess John Ulrich basically had put together through Road Racing World magazine and whatever. Uh, and his son, Chris, you know, helps helps with it a lot is to raise funds to help put safety air fence at, at various racetracks and things. And it was interesting. I forget the exact episode number, but I'll put it in the show notes. But it was interesting to listen to John Ulrich talk about it and how like very early on. And I think if I remember time frame, it was like late 70s or early 80s or something that this was really getting to be a hot issue because he was seeing a lot of his friends were either being killed or seriously injured, you know, like debilitating injuries, you know, because of road racing accidents and, you know, that there were teams and team organizations, you know, approaching track owners and stuff saying, Hey, like this has to be fixed, you know, fixed. You got to do something about it. But the attitude at the time was, well, if you don't like it, take a walk. And yeah. now, and that that's interesting too. Now that I think about it is, you know, that's back when road racing was a really big thing. Like it was really, really popular. It made a lot of money and, you know, it's, I hate, I hate to say it, when it comes to like life and death stuff, but I guess it is supply and demand kind of thing. So if the demand for tracks and for racing and whatever was so, so high, I guess, even though it wasn't the human thing to do, the track owners could have that attitude of, well, all right, you know, there's plenty of teams want to race here. So, you know, if you don't think yeah. it's safe, you know, hit, you know, take a hike, hit the road. But anyway, so, you know, in the interview, he talks about, you know, what it took over time to get tr certain tracks and owners to agree that, yeah, it would be okay for, somebody else to raise the money for the safety fence and install it. And then he even talks about things where there were tracks where like they would provide the safety fence. Like here it is. We'll even, we'll deliver it in the truck, you know, the weekend of the race. And then there was issues about getting it installed and they didn't want to, you know, it was like, yeah, it's, it's, fa it's fascinating. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I, I, I don't know about the existing tracks. That's, that's hard to change because it costs money. But I mean, think about, if you just had five feet of pavement on both sides of the track surface, 
that would cost a decent amount of money, a couple hundred thousand at least, uh, maybe upwards of a million. I don't know. Um, but in one race weekend of crashes, think about how much money that would save for like a MotoGP weekend. If, if they had five feet extra of runoff of pavement that they could use. Yeah. Um, and they already have all the marshals and stewards looking at all the footage anyway. So there's not really cutting the track issues. There might be in club racing more so because there's not as much scrutiny on the visuals, but uh, the benefit cost analysis Yes, the track is going to have to eat that cost, but um, I don't know how you how you fund that. I mean, like like I said, if you save the the cost of one weekend's crashes, it would pay for itself. Right. If you think of it that way, but it's, yeah, it's, I, I, I guess you're right. But I guess it's all a matter of who's yeah whose pocket the money's coming out of, right? So it's yeah. like is it you know in the, in the terms of crashes or whatever, you know, well that that's on the team and the racer and the racer's family and. Yeah. I mean, obviously it's changed. It's gotten a lot better, but it was, it was just an interesting story to listen to. Yeah. Um, and, uh, and you're right. You know, there are certain tracks where they just may not be suitable anymore. And like, if I'm not mistaken, I think Loudon is one of them. I'm pretty sure they still race motorcycles there, but I think that's one of the ones where there's some, I haven't been to that track yet, but where there's some kind of areas that are like a little, little rough, like, kind, of, kind of a little yeah. sketchy. Um, you know, and then, and then you can, that gets me to like Isle of Man TT where, you know, yeah. <laughs> but that, 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 that's a whole, that's a whole other thing, but it's actually, that's cool that you support the, uh, the, the action fund for the safety fence. My, uh, indirectly, my girlfriend and I supported it. Um, cause one of the things that Chris Ulrich does right at, at many of the motor America rounds is you can donate $500 to get a ride on the back of a super bike. Oh yeah. He does so it. He, so he takes you for, yeah, two uprights. So he takes you for two hot laps, you know, around the track or something like yeah. that. And then basically, yep. So basically I guess it covers some operating expenses, but basically that's a donation to the, uh, the safety fence, you know, to the action fund. So, so that's really cool. And that's something I encourage people to try that. That was a blast. You know, I already was planning to do track days, but that definitely like locked it in after. (laughs) Yeah. To see somebody do it. Yeah. 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 It's, it's amazing to be a backup, you know, the back of a bike and just see, what the guy could do with a passenger on, you know, oh, yeah. that's pretty, that's pretty cool stuff. Absolutely. I love yeah. that. Yeah. So uh, let's, let's talk a little bit about uh, Eric Swan racing and, and what you have like available, like products and things that uh, listeners might be interested in. Yeah. So I have actually eight vendors right now. Um, not all of them are listed online, but I've got a guy working uh, full time trying to help me uh, upload these products. The goal is to get 2000 products listed per month. Um, and right now what we have online is Moto D racing is a brand that we sell. So we have, uh, those nice paddock stands. We have the trailer restraints. We have uh, bike stands front and rear and also the head lift. So you can work on your front tire and take all the forks off and everything. Um, and through them, we also have Bonamici, Bonamici Italian parts, and they have great parts. It's kind of like a driven or a vortex type of brand, but, um, they have their own rear sets. They have clip-ons and handlebars and uh, different, uh, all different types of hard parts. Akasato, brake master cylinders. It just goes on and on. Mm-hmm. Um, Spark exhaust is a great one. Uh, some of the guys in Moto America, I think, are using those exhaust. Uh, they're top quality. I believe some of the guys in World Superbike are using them. Uh, I think they use it on the Pentagali V4R, if I'm not mistaken. So it's a, it's a really great brand, and, and I have uh, Motul, Motul suspension 
uh, setup tool. It's for, uh, it sets your SAG. Um, and there's a bunch of them that are that are being worked on right now. Uh, Jim O'Neill Power Sports and uh, OGO Power Sports. Um, so they have a lot of motocross gear, jerseys and boots, helmets, um, you know, a lot of kits that you can buy. And then OGO with uh, luggage uh, and motorsports gear, gear bags is a, is a real winner. Cool. And, and so basically, so right now you're, you're doing this as a part-time thing, right? That you're, you're looking to build up, right? Basically is like, yep. to have so I work on, I work a normal job from uh, six to two come uh, in Pontiac, Michigan. And I come home and do this from usually three to seven or six or whenever question mark, whenever it's done. Right. Uh, you know, having a business in your house uh, means that you're never really done. You just find a time to stop. So uh, I've got a little bit better with just saying, okay, I'm done at a certain time and it's not really done today, but I have to go eat dinner and go to sleep and do it all over again. So yeah, I got you. Yeah. The thing, it's the helpful. About, yeah. The thing about being an entrepreneur, right. Is just learning how to pace yourself and yeah. Do what, do what it's a marathon. Doing. That's for sure. Yeah. What, uh, well, actually, so how, how long have you been running like the, the, the website, like, and, and selling, you know, selling stuff online? Uh, a long time. Um, so when I was a little kid, I, I used my parents' eBay account to sell stuff on eBay, okay. uh, like CDs and, and stuff. And I have, I have drawings of me uh, when I was maybe five years old saying, I want to be a store owner, but I had written on there, I want to sell Pokemon cards and sports cards, you know, so I'm kind of doing that. Uh, just a little different products. Um, so yeah, I've, I've sold stuff on Craigslist and eBay uh, since probably middle school, if not earlier. Um, and I really started getting into it uh, when I got into racing, I'd say. I was I was selling more stuff on Craigslist and then I saw I was starting to take off. Um, and that's when I moved to eBay was, I think, July 1st of 2016, I want to say. Uh, it's been about been a couple of years now. Um, and it's getting better. It's better every year. It's and uh, I started with a batch of like 750 products that were my own, like books and CDs and DVDs and clothing and shoes, you know, electronics, whatever you can find around the house. And I think out of that main batch, I, I sold all but 200 of them. So um, I'm, I'm closing in on order number 2000 here. Oh, cool. And, uh, it's it's uh, I've shipped to all 50 states and 35 countries, so it's not nothing. I have I have sales just about every single day. Uh, it's just not enough yet for me to quit my job, you know. No, I got you. Well, but you know, takes a while. Going, keep doing what you're doing. Yeah, yeah, definitely right. But that's cool. What uh, what do you do in your day job? Uh, my day job, I'm a traffic coordinator, so I work at a aluminum blanking company, and we take in um, mostly aluminum and some steel coils, and uh, we have a dies and different blanking lines that we blank out different shapes for industrial, commercial, you know, aerospace, autom- mostly a lot of automotive. Mm-hmm. But right now with the COVID, it's it's significantly reduced everything uh, for everybody, I'm sure. Yeah. And uh, so, but I'm still working full time there, and uh, it's it's good to still be working and be working at my second job as well. Yep. So, uh, yeah. I'm. I'm I'm staying busy. 
That's awesome. Yeah, the more the more sources of income you have, the better, right? Because you just yeah, uh, something, more. something gets hurts over here a little bit, and hopefully that one. Sometimes they pick up or whatever. And it's been interesting with this whole COVID thing, like watching how various companies, especially small businesses, have responded. Right? It's like you kind of can tell like the personality of the owner, or whatever. Because some they kind of threw their hands up in there. It's like, oh well, COVID. You know, what are you going to do? There's nothing. And and for some, I'm sure there were a lot of difficulties that were hard to overcome. You know, but I know like um, the the company that my girlfriend likes to buy, it's like she's she buys clothing and she, I think she's bought some riding gear or whatever. They make like women's leggings and stuff, right? They're like, okay. well, the material for women's leggings would make awesome face mask material. So they're just like, oh, okay, we're going to make face masks. That's yeah, the switch is like I, that. Yeah, it was like a, a week after things started shutting down. They were making a fortune, you know, selling face masks and stuff. And then, yeah. you know, it's just been interesting to see, you know, that there's restaurants and stuff that have come up with unique ways of being able to, you know, pump up their, their uh, you know, takeout business and phone orders and stuff like that. So, yeah. Yeah. Uh, it, and it, I, it's like opportunity, like if, if, and it's not always easy, you know, I'm not saying that, but it's like if, if you kind of can try to be a, a glass is half full kind of person, you know, sometimes these things present opportunity. You just got to be looking for it, you know? Yep. When the stock market goes down, everybody panics, but really they're all on sale. So it depends, you know, what your perspective is. And uh, some people make money when they buy, some people make money when they sell. It depends yeah. on what you're trying to do with it. Yeah, exactly. And hopefully you just want to try to as many, as much as you can be on the, the side where you're making money when you sell. <laughs> That's the idea. Anyway. Or at least the one making the money, right? Cause someone, sometimes someone's losing the money. Someone's making the money. Someone's losing the money. So yeah. are there uh, any, any particular products in your store that are like hot sellers, like anything that kind of stands out? Yeah. Um, I love the Bonamici rear sets. We have them for just about every modern sport bike there are. And also the easy grip tank grips, those are for, you know, the inside of your bike. Yep. Um, so you can lean off the bike and, uh, and not ruin your leathers with it being too abrasive, but uh, lean just enough so you can kind of be stuck in there in a good way right. um, and not fall off the bike either. So those, those easy grips are also uh, probably the, the most watched item I have on eBay, I think. Um, we have those for Aprilia. BMW, KTM, MV Augusta, uh, Honda, Kawasaki, Suzuki, uh, and there's also Universal Fitments. Uh, you can cut it you right. however you want. So uh, those are those are a hot seller. Now Bonamici also makes the uh, I forget what they call it the, the chain slack adjuster, right? Like you. Yeah, they have the uh, the chain adjusters. Yeah, right. you can yeah, you yeah. can adjust your wheelbase with those. Yeah. So, yeah, actually, was, yeah, I was I was looking at those. I may have to come check out your store. Yeah, we have them in, uh, I think, black, blue, green, red, uh, silver, maybe. Yeah, okay. Cool, so, cool, cool, cool. Yeah, check them out for sure. Yeah. All right, so I know we're hitting like the 9 o'clock hour. I know you got to be up early in the morning, so maybe we'll, we'll wrap it up. Um, anything else you wanted to just mention or talk about, either regarding your racing or your online store? Uh, yeah, I guess uh, I'm doing. I'm trying to do a weekly podcast now. I have five out there already. Awesome. I have two in the works right now. I'm editing, right? Uh, just waiting to throw some some intro and commercial on the end of it and publish. Uh, I'm doing another one Saturday with my cousin Tony, and he's got a really cool paint shop and painting business that he's uh, recently started. So I'm excited to talk to him about that. Um, and yeah, I, the ESR is is now three parts. It's got business, sales. Uh, sorry, podcast, sales, and racing. I think that's a new slogan. 
There uh, you go. So I got the three parts there. Just trying to upload as many products as I can. I'm working on it every day. Um, trying to do the weekly podcast. It's not going to be exactly every week. Sometimes I did I did two already in one week. Sometimes I did zero. So I'm trying but, to trust me. I know thing. how I know how that goes. I I try to do one a week, and and I try like I'm, it's actually been good like doing the Zoom thing the two weeks in a row. It's like I'm trying to stick to the Wednesday eight p.m. Like if I can kind of okay, get yeah. to that rhythm kind of thing, but it's hard sometimes. You know, I do this for fun basically. I just love motorcycling, and I'm trying to do yeah. what I can to just whatever get people interested and in, you know things that they haven't looked into yet or whatever. Um, you know, I'm not making any money at it yet. I got my, my regular full-time job, but, uh, so that the time, yeah, I know the time's not always there. Like last weekend, you know, was away, which is really cool, you know, for track day, but you know, it takes the time preparing and whatever. So yeah, anyway, I, I feel your pain, but, uh, <laughs> the main, the main thing is you're putting out the content. Like, I think that's the, you know, yeah, if you can get it on a regular schedule, awesome. But the main thing is, you know, people know where to go, right. To get right. to stuff. Yeah. It's everywhere. Now it's YouTube, uh, Google podcast, iTunes, Stitcher. I don't even know them all to be honest. <laughs> okay. Awesome. Awesome. So, yeah. So let's, uh, so your website address is, is it, is it ericswanracing.com? Yep. Ericswanracing.com and also visit shopesr.com. Okay. And then Facebook is also Eric Swan Racing, right? Yep, Eric Swan Racing and Instagram, Eric Swan Racing. I'm on Twitter and I'm also on Twitch and Patreon and uh, anywhere you can Google me, I'm probably there. So, yeah. all right. So, everybody, check it out. Definitely. Uh, I think what he's doing is really cool. Just, to, you know, got this online store together just to help whatever, well, support yourself, but also your racing, which is really cool. So, uh, yeah, check out his store. I'm, uh, I'm sure he's got something that you need. <laughs> we have over 2,000 products and uh, getting up to 25,000 here soon. There's definitely something uh, that you definitely need. Yeah, exactly right. All right, Eric, thanks, man. It's been a ton of fun. I hope, uh, hope you enjoyed it. And uh, if you're up for it, maybe we'll do this again sometime. Absolutely. Thanks for having me on, Chris, and I uh, hope to do it again soon. Yeah, okay, cool. All right, good night, everybody. Bye-bye. If you'd like to find out more about my podcast or find the earlier podcast episodes, just point your web browser to soyouwantarideamotorcycle.com or find the link in the show notes included with this episode in your podcast app. If you have any questions about the show or the topics discussed, or if you want to send me feedback, you can email me anytime at soyouwantaride at yahoo.com. That address is also in the podcast notes. You can also follow me on Facebook and Instagram, where I share lots of links to other people's motorcycle articles and video content, as well as providing a lot of my own motorcycle-related photos and content. Just search for So You Want to Ride, or find the links on my website, or, again, in the podcast notes. There are two big ways you can help support the show. One is free, and one is paid. If you'd like to help support the podcast financially, you can donate using PayPal by going to paypal.me slash christophergeis or just click the donate link at the upper right on my website. I also now have a podcast supporters page on the website which lists all of the listeners who are supporting the podcast. Total donations of $5 to $9 will make you a member of the Thupper Club where I'll list your name and any social media links that you want to provide. Donations of $10 and up will make you a member of one of the other clubs where I'll include your photo and biography as well as any links you want to provide. Any commercial organization that would like to support the podcast to help promote their products and services can contact me directly for the available options. All donations will be put to very good use to cover operating expenses and to help promote and expand the podcast. Anything you care to donate will be greatly appreciated. The free way to help is just help me spread the word so we can continue to grow my online and listener communities. 
So please share the link to my podcast and my social media with family, friends, and coworkers. And also, please leave me a rating and some comments on iTunes and any other place where you can leave feedback or mention the show. As always, thank you for listening. And just remember, whatever you do, it's always time to ride. 